0: endometriosis, PCOS, and MTHFR do have a correlation. They are believed to be linked. MTHFR is a genetic mutation that makes it more challenging for us to methylate for ourselves, especially when we are eating a lot of processed foods that contain things like folic acid. And that also is really common in prenatal vitamins. Doctor said you
1: got PCOS. Now go on, girl, just lose some weight. Hands and reverse them naturally. So I became a dietitian and help my sisters feel
2: the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you
1: wanna move them on and take control of yourself. Join a your sister and a
2: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of A Sister and Her Mister. Today, we have Laura Fletcher. She is the mother of two and founder and CEO of Salat Fertility. She's also the author of The Grace in Grief Healing and Hope After Miscarriage. She was diagnosed with PCOS and endometriosis. After surviving multiple devastating back to back miscarriages, Laura took matters into her own hands. She became a self advocate and took action by becoming a certified doula. Laura is in the pursuit to equip every individual with the tools they need to optimize their health and, as an extension, their fertility.
1: Welcome, Laura. We're very happy to have you on today's episode.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So we want to kind of open with your second uh, home in Scotland. It is kind of, off, <laughs> kind of off topic, but we recently traveled to Scotland. Um, we drove from London to Edinburgh. Um, by the way, I hope you're impressed. I'm saying you're right, Edinburgh. And you
0: are uh, saying it right. I'm so impressed.
1: Yeah, I know. Right. Because most people say Edinburgh or Edinburgh. But yeah, it's just for everyone. They know it's Edinburgh. But we loved it there. We we spent about a week there. It was such a, a lovely city. But where is your second home in Scotland?
0: So first of all, that's a heck of a drive from London to Edinburgh. So yeah. that in itself is impressive. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I, my home is in a very small northwestern village called Olapool. The closest city is about an hour away. That is wow. Inverness.
1: Wow. What, what made you get that second home in Scotland? Do you have like a, like a Scottish ancestry or you just like the, that country?
0: I was born in Inverness and spent my childhood years, my early childhood years in Olapool. My family actually owned a very small hotel there. Uh, We were in hospitality. Really, they were very passionate about it. Um, And we moved to America when I was about six years old. So I've always just felt very connected to Scotland. It very much feels uh, like part of my heart is still there. Feels a lot like home to me. So we bought a secondary home in Olapul a few years back and look forward to visiting every single chance I get. Yeah, That's so cool.
1: I'm sure it's like yeah. a break. It's like a break from the norm, like break from society, because, you know, we have all this busyness that happens in like a normal city. And then I'm sure when you go there, it's just like a nice cortisol, like a stress break. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. We do a lot of gardening. We do a lot of sitting by the fire and reading. We have a little dinghy. We live right on the water. So we get to go out with the girls fishing. And it's just very, very relaxing, totally switching off from society and the hustle and bustle. Oh, that's so cool. Is it freezing cold or is it nice?
2: You know, because when we went, we were so cold and it was April. Yeah. The rain was coming at me horizontally okay. from the wind <laughs> of the North Sea.
0: Yes, what's so, it like when you go? <laughs> really depends. We we do we try to do one trip a year at least. Sometimes two. If we do go in the summer, obviously much nicer weather. Traditionally, it's like a light kind of sundress with a light cardigan will work but i always wear waterproof shoes in scotland because you're so right so even that like light cardigan that i'm talking about it's usually waterproof because the wind and the rain can be pretty brutal oh yeah so So i wasn't the only one (laughs) no you're not the only one and it does snow in scotland as well so yeah um you know in in the, the winter obviously but yeah april can still be really cold yeah yeah it was
2: yeah for sure Well, diving right into it, (laughs) I also read, other than your home in Scotland, that you were diagnosed with PCOS and endometriosis and MTHFR. So how did you find out about
0: all of this? And like, what was it like when you first were diagnosed? When I was first diagnosed, it was a combination of extreme emotions, uh, ranging from feeling immense relief, validation to like absolute devastation because I had been fighting for a diagnosis for so long. And it was incredibly frustrating to hear, hey, yeah, you do actually have something wrong with you when I had been, you know, really trying to dig and dig and dig and get to the root of the of the issue. But like I said, also like such a huge relief that I could now be proactive about my own well-being. I actually had kind of a target, you know, I uh, yeah, wow. I was diagnosed after 10 years of struggling with infertility and miscarriages. Wow. Ten years of struggle, yeah.
1: That must have been so frustrating. I mean, of course, the the act the miscarriage is so like traumatic, but it's also so frustrating that you don't know why it's happening, right?
0: Oh my gosh, it was doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist telling me, Oh, you're totally healthy. All of your labs are perfect. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not normal to have four miscarriages, especially in your 20s, you know? Yeah. So how did you get to the root of it? how did you figure out what the issue was? I got really proactive about digging and finding out information for myself. So accounts like yours, first of all, incredibly helpful. You provide so much fantastic Real useful information. Oh, thank um, you. I yeah, you're welcome. I joined a support group uh, that focused on miscarriage, and some of the things that kept coming up were endometriosis, PCOS, thyroid, MTHFR, reproductive immunological challenges. Um, and in the beginning, I was a little hesitant, and I was a little, I think, probably scared is is the truth. Eventually, I connected with a doctor in Manhattan. I'm in Orlando, so it was you know, I jumped on a flight and flew up there, and the moment he got me, we did an ultrasound, and right away, he said, you know, I really do think we're seeing what could be endometriosis and PCOS, and I'd like to do some further testing, so I, of course, agreed. We did a lot of blood work. I did a laparoscopic surgery for the endometriosis portion, and they were able to confirm both endometriosis and PCOS in addition to some other reproductive challenges um, in the immunological area and MTHFR being one of those things. Can you touch on what
2: MTHFR is? Because I feel like we haven't talked about it on our podcast.
0: Yeah, of course. So uh, first of all, endometriosis, PCOS, and MTHFR do have a correlation. They are believed to be linked. MTHFR is a genetic mutation that makes it more challenging for us to methylate for ourselves. Um, especially when we are eating a lot of processed foods that contain things like folic acid. And that also is really common in prenatal vitamins. So I, of course, thought that I was doing the right thing, loading up on my prenatal vitamins and those prenatal vitamins have the synthetic form of folate, which is folic acid. Somebody with MTHFR has a really hard time actually breaking that down and utilizing um, those molecules in their body.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very true. Cause when we made our, um, women's multivitamin for PCOS, we were fighting to make sure it had folate and not folic acid for the same reasons you're talking about.
0: So amazing. Thank you for fighting that fight because so (laughs) many people just don't seem to, um, you know, give it much credit that there's a tremendous amount of science out there that does back up those claims and those thoughts. And I, I think it made a huge difference for me. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm not very, I mean, we're not very uh, well versed in endometriosis since we focus morally on PCOS, but it's, I guess, to be 100% diagnosed with it, there has to be some sort of a surgical procedure to confirm it that you have endometriosis.
0: I would say that is the most thorough way of diagnosing. There are some doctors that are able to detect endometriosis via ultrasound. Um, I, I personally think if you're not seeing one of the world's leading specialists in endometriosis, really the only way you're going to get a true diagnosis is through laparoscopic surgery. And if you are moving forward with a lapar, excuse me, laparoscopic surgery, it's such a mouthful. <laughs> again, I would absolutely uh, recommend that you do work with somebody who is an endometriosis expert. Uh, you know, practicing these surgeries multiple times a day, not just an OBGYN who has done a few surgeries over the course of the year.
2: Wow. That's
0: great advice. That really is. I feel like
2: we often don't look into the details like that, you know, especially when you're in pain and like suffering from endometriosis, you don't really think like, okay, I need to find like the specialist, the best person, you know, you just go to your gyno and you're like, Do something with me. I don't know what's going on. I mean, PCOS too. Yeah, yeah. PCOS too. We always say, like, you should work with someone who has reversed PCOS, functional nutritionists, uh, functional um, medicine doctors, naturopaths, like people who have reversed PCOS, you know, before you give up and do something that's like, you know, impulsive. But it's imperative. uh, yeah, it's, it really is. I mean,
1: it's so common to be dismissed by the doctor or just to even like be given like a standard protocol. They don't really look into your own details, your labs and tell you, yeah. "Okay, your the root of your PCOS is your thyroid or your insulin resistance or I mean, sometimes they do, of course, but there's a lot of like
2: no, missing
1: yeah. missing details that someone can mm-hmm. You know, learn and like apply to their daily lifestyle it would make a huge difference if they just were. Aware a lot of,
2: it. of times it's not discussed. And I feel like a lot of times women are sometimes offered hysterectomies to just oh, remove yeah. everything because mm-hmm. it's just too much to figure out.
0: Don't you think? I think that I absolutely do. I think that um, so many women have been robbed of their fertility because they have had to make a choice between fertility and living in excruciating pain. I think that most people in that scenario when they're having excruciating pain, where they're you know doubled over three weeks out of every month because of PCOS or endometriosis or a combination of both, um, and you know, they're gaining weight, they're having inflammation, a ton of different challenges. I think that it's really hard to, to scale back and, and think about fertility when you're dealing with barely being able to function on the day to day. And as a result, a lot of doctors do, like you said, they say, oh, well, let's just do a hysterectomy. They do yeah. the hysterectomy. And then a lot of women still experience the pain because reproductive, or excuse me, endometriosis is not just a reproductive disease.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's like a whole body approach. Totally. So when you were having miscarriages, did you know if you had PCOS, endometriosis, and MTHFR?
1: Not in the beginning. What was but- it?
2: You didn't know. And then you got
0: diagnosed. I didn't know that I had any of those things until after my fourth miscarriage. So no doctor told you
2: that you might have any of these three things and they said you were fine. Yes. Wow.
0: Literally, I had never even heard of PCOS um, until it it was so crazy. And looking back, it is so insane to me.
2: Did you hear about that sister who took ovacetol and finally got her period after a year of not having one?
1: Incredible!
2: me who have pcos this ratio is often imbalanced so taking Ovastol can be super effective in treating insulin resistance starting from the root of the issue
1: so awesome it tastes like nothing so just warn me when you put it in a cup so i don't drink it
2: you got it boo check out the link in the description to get 15 percent off your order did you have blaring signs and symptoms that were just completely dismissed
0: So I actually had what they call silent endometriosis. So my main symptoms of endometriosis, unfortunately, were miscarriage. PCOS, though, I do have symptoms. You know, I do get cysts. I also had weight gain, unexplained weight gain. I had very visible signs of inflammation. Like if I look back at photographs of myself, when I was going through that kind of 10-year period of just suffering, I am like very visibly inflamed. And I have no doubt now that that was a huge part of that was PCOS and endometriosis.
1: Wow. And what were some of the, like, after you were uh, diagnosed with these three conditions, what were some of the um, protocols that the doctor had you go on? Or what are some of the things that you learned that, you know, you, you started to incorporate within the first couple of months?
0: I thankfully had a doctor that is very holistic and very accessible. So he was insanely proactive like to the next level Amazing. about looking at, oh it, it, he is he's incredible I credit him with so much of my ability to heal I mean do,
1: do um, you want to do you want to shout him out like feel free to shout him out and, and like where his office is located for anyone who might be near near there
0: I would love to shout him out his name is Dr Andrea Vidali he is in Manhattan he is an endometriosis excision specialist as well as a reproductive endocrinologist and reproductive immunologist. How do you spell his last name? V-I-D-A-L-I. He's Italian.
1: Okay. Okay. Amazing. All right. so Sorry, I I interrupted you. Please please continue.
0: No, that's okay. So he, like I said, was really proactive. At the time, his partner was Dr. Jeffrey Braverman, who unfortunately has since passed. But both of them were really, they, they looked at diet. They looked at lifestyle. They talked about supplements. They did a really deep dive into every piece of my life. And they also did a dive into my husband which I th- I just think is so cool because and especially like for your particular podcast it's so amazing that you have the two of you do this together because I think a lot of times especially with fertility or things that are considered quote unquote reproductive challenges it all seems to land on the woman right so it's amazing mm-hmm. when we have our partners jumping in there with us
1: 100% yeah. yeah i mean there's so many different factors but one factor is like how well is your partner supporting you and also I mean, you never know. There could be issues with the partner as well. That could just help with the chances of you know getting pregnant, pregnant as well.
0: Definitely. So, I would say the first things that I did, I altered my diet pretty drastically. Um, I followed a lot of the information that you continue to share with your your listeners and your followers. A lot of um, reduction, obviously, in sugars. I did kind of close to a paleo diet, but in the beginning, it had to be a little more strict. It had to be an autoimmune paleo diet. In order to really figure out what foods were triggering some of my symptoms. We looked at supplements. We did um, my own acetol, which I love, I still take. Um nice. yeah, I love it. I think Therologics brand.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, ovacetol.
0: Yeah, Avacital. We also did high dose fish oil. We increased the amount of fish that I was eating. We did, you know, sardines and and wild salmon, uh, clod, snapper, things like that lots of of cooked leafy green vegetables I worked with a really wonderful practitioner also out of Manhattan her name is Amy Raup raupP and she really helped me kind of redesign my diet and my lifestyle
1: that's amazing that's amazing because yeah. I mean it's it sounds like a very a well-balanced diet without any of the processed stuff and without any of the extra sugars essentially preventing any of those inflammatory responses that could you know cause the, the symptoms from the, the three conditions, PCOS, endometriosis, and MTHFR.
2: Was there anything specific that she told you that, might, that you felt was kind of unique, that she told you to change in your diet and your lifestyle? Because I feel like this is really important information for those who are listening, who are on their fertility journey with PCOS, struggling, having miscarriages. And I love that you were able to do this naturally. So
0: what were some of the things that she told you? Thank you. Um, I would say that big pieces, and this was kind of, let me think what year this would have been. This would have been 2017, 2018. So now this information is more kind of mainstream, but big items that kind of were not surprising to me, but exciting were removal of all seed oils. So focusing mm-hmm. on healthy fats, like coconut, avocado, olive oil, animal fats, obviously, or grass fed clarified butter. That was a big one. Also increasing the seafood, increasing the leafy greens, cooked foods mostly, and also eating them when they're warm was a big thing to keep the uterus happy and warm. Um, And also again, like reduce the level of energy that my digestive system was having to put into food. Mm. that's so interesting my
2: acupuncturist yeah. told me that once yeah stop yeah. eating kale salad eat more warming mm. like you know soups and stews and
1: teas yeah, yeah i exactly. remember that told me the same thing too mm. yeah
2: that's yeah. so interesting that she said that and so after making all of these changes implementing all of these supplements you were able to carry naturally
0: or did you um, have to go through any other procedures? I actually had to suppress my immune system in order to carry. So, the piece of the puzzle that was probably the most aggressive the piece that I had to be the most aggressive about was the reproductive immunological piece. So I had to essentially what had happened was my body had developed antibodies against my husband's genetic material. So every time I was getting pregnant, my inflammation level would go through the roof. So it was already high, right? Because of the endometriosis, because of the PCOS, when I would get pregnant, it would go off the charts and my body would actually attack the embryo. So I had to take medication in order to actually suppress the reaction.
2: Wow. Was this specific to your husband or was this specific to your body, just rejecting any foreign anything? It was specific
0: to his genetic material. Wow.
1: Is that because like his genetic material has something specific about it or is that just like any yeah, I'm just curious, like it's it's very interesting,
0: yeah, it it is very interesting. and it's something that's quite hard to explain as that I'm not an an immunologist. so it's hard to explain. but essentially, it's not that my husband is the only carrier of this material. It's that he has particular markers that I carry antibodies against. So oh. it could be that I have uh, intolerance to other people as well. However, it just unfortunately happened to be that my husband was included within that group.
1: That must have been so awkward when the, when you guys found that. It's just like, you know.
0: What, a, what an interesting
2: problem to have that I've never heard before. Yeah. It's wonderful yeah. that you picked, your doctor picked up on that. That is so oh, yeah. specific, you know. Like, it's, it's very not like, specific. Here you are, like everyone's saying you're totally fine, don't worry. Even though you've had four miscarriages, no one's thinking that this might be the issue. You had to go to a
0: specific doctor to find this out. Like a, very very specific there's only i think there's only two doctors in the united states even testing for this Mm. stop it yeah
1: Mm -hmm. is this
0: like eastern medicine or no it's immunology oh i see reproductive immunology it's funny that you bring up how awkward that must have been because when i got the phone call to give me the results of my immunological testing i got off the phone and i was like how on earth i have this line in my book how do i tell my husband I am allergic to you, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) Oh my God. Like he already thinks I hate him half the time.
1: (laughs) Hormonal. You hate him at
0: the time. Yeah. Cause I I was going to
1: ask too, cause it must've like, um, like it must've been a little bit, you tell us, but it must've been a little bit difficult to like, kind of be on the same page together to understand the situation and like not blame each other. Right.
0: It's very hard. I mean, I had a really hard time not blaming myself. Great, Because obviously, like my body is the one that is going into overdrive and going crazy. And then he was the same way. He he felt like he was blaming himself because it was his material, his genetic, his actual sperm that I was like, Nope. (laughs) It was hard. It was really, really hard. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I mean, good on you both. It seems like you both handled it very well. I'm sure like over time handled it really well. And I'm sure you're stronger now as a result with your beautiful children.
2: Isn't nature Thank interesting? You. you know, like it, it has is. nothing to do with anything. It's just nature. Like you don't have to blame anyone. Like this is just part yeah. of life being human. No one's perfect.
0: It was really actually good for our relationship in so many ways because it forced us into really difficult situations that we had to lean on other people for support. So we had to go to therapy. We had to seek out other modalities. You mentioned acupuncture. That was a huge piece of the healing process. So yeah, you know, I think in a lot of ways, although obviously I would never wish miscarriages on myself or anybody, in a lot of ways, there was a lot of healing that occurred within our relationship.
1: Yeah, wow. absolutely. I, I totally can uh, understand that. Like sure. you have to go going through something tough is what makes a relationship flourish. You know, if it's always easy, then when the tough stuff comes up, you like kind of break apart because you've never been yeah. in that situation together.
2: Yeah, it's like yeah. that's where the growth is, you know, in the yeah, total phase.
1: Yeah. And, and then from this point on, after you were um, able to successfully um, have a pregnancy, what motivated you to become an advocate and a, and a doula for others?
0: I think the fact that I struggled for so long to get even basic testing and basic answers was the huge motivating factor for me Um, because it's just crazy. It's just ridiculous that somebody in America, which is supposedly like the most advanced medical society in the world, right? Like, it's just crazy. So that was a huge factor. And also, like, as I started sharing my story, recognizing how many people were having... Maybe not exactly the same situations, but similar, right? Whether it's some form of medical gaslighting, some sort of reproductive challenge, miscarriages, infertility, et cetera. Every single person that I talked to either had an individual experience with that or knew somebody that had an experience with that. So just felt like I I really wanted, I felt very alienated, very alone during that process. So I wanted to provide support and education and resources for people that were going through that as well.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure. It's very fulfilling to be able to help others and o- help them avoid the struggles that you had to go through for all those years and help them kind of like yeah. have like a cheat code to just like find the solution as fast as possible.
0: Definitely. If I had only had that cheat code in a year or two, you know, but right 10 years later.
2: Yeah, yeah. How many years did you spend trying before figuring out
0: anything like PCOS and everything? Else. So I am actually hyper fertile. I get pregnant very, very easily. I've been pregnant six times. Um, never actually had to try to get pregnant. I just couldn't stay pregnant.
2: Oh, I see. So is this um I, I'm just curious, is this immune suppressing medication? Is it just a pill? Like it's one pill that suppresses I, your immune system so you
0: can accept his sperm. I wish it was IV treatment. it was three injections per day. It was uh three pills per day in addition to supplements. Yeah, the it's a full protocol for eight months, nine months. So the first trimester was a lot more aggressive. The medications were more aggressive during the first trimester until the placenta took over. I had to do um blood work every two weeks to make sure that my immune system was staying moderated. Um, And at around 12 to 14 weeks, they started weaning me off of the the medications that I was taking via pill, but I did still have to do two injections per day for the remainder of the pregnancy.
2: Oh, wow. And that was to help
0: thin the blood.
2: And thinning the blood helps you accept his
0: That was actually a, a different issue, unfortunately. That's actually more connected to the MTHFR. So MTHFR is sometimes considered in some in some circles um, to be a blood clotting factor. So we had to thin the blood in order for me to not have clotting within the placenta or the cord.
2: I really like how we're discussing this right now because a lot of women who are diagnosed with PCOS aren't thinking about the additional complexities that can be attached, like the likelihood of you having endometriosis or MTHFR. And When women try to get pregnant with PCOS and it still doesn't work, even though they do all these great lifestyle changes and diet changes, I feel like not enough doctors are mentioning that it might be this, it might be that, you know, the MTHFR might be, you need a blood thinning medication. Like I feel like this level of critical thinking isn't often the first line approach and um, people just go straight to IVF Mm. without any which is fine, but like, which without any further like education of what could or couldn't be the case.
0: Sure. Um, And I mean, with PCOS, PCOS can be really problematic for egg quality because of the higher levels of inflammation. And also, you know, the, the insulin plays a huge role in egg quality. So if we are not treating, we're not looking at the whole picture when it comes to PCOS and we're going straight to IVF, the likelihood of having Fertilized embryos that make it to blast and transfer an implant properly is lowered for sure. If we're not addressing in advance, the way that our body is responding to insulin, the way that we are, you know, looking at our, our blood sugar throughout the day, how does it look? How are we reacting to foods?
1: Yeah. Right. So, So true.
0: Also, if we're not addressing the inflammation, because even if we don't look inflamed, right? Like we were walking around looking thin and fit and healthy. Our blood work may tell a very different story about our actual inflammation levels. How do you
2: get it tested? I had my C-reactive protein tested. It was like super high at one point.
0: Mm. But, you know, how do you typically get it tested? I have them test my omega-6 to omega-3 ratio in my blood. Mm. Oh.
1: And that's like a, that's a, a marker to see how much inflammation you have in the body?
2: Yes, it is. Oh, okay. The way we yeah. take omega-3 in this house. Yeah. <laughs> It yes. would be impossible. <laughs> see, oh, that's the so good
1: yeah.
2: Oh, I see. No, I just mean the supplement.
1: Oh, like to have inflammation, you mean? Or what do you mean? No,
2: we take the supplement omega 3. So the ratio between omega 3 and omega 6 hopefully is good for both of us because we yeah. take so much omega
1: 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, I misunderstood what you meant. Yeah.
2: yeah. CDAC is stealing my omega 3 by the handful. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I feel so much sure. better when I take it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> But it is a really good point you made about like, you know, focusing on insulin levels and inflammation, because a lot of times a lot of women with PCOS are given like birth control at a young age. And then they, you know, it's like a bandaid approach for some people where you don't Mm. really feel the symptoms. And then you get off of birth control when you're ready to have children. And then all the symptoms just come back like 10 times worse because, you know, unfortunately they weren't given enough education about what can happen. And then they spend the next year or two to try to reverse all those symptoms and have There um have a baby and it's like like you were saying focusing on those root issues from earlier on will just make it easier, for the entire process. Yeah,
0: one hundred percent. And I mean, the birth control band aid that's also part of an IVF protocol. So for a woman with PCOS, that's really maybe not the best approach. I, I I do very much wish to echo your statement that people doctors would look at it more holistically and and really um try to treat the issues rather than just band-aiding the symptoms Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely
0: yeah and so many women have this when
2: you think about like 10 Mm percent one in 10 women have this or one in five in some countries it's incredible like how much confusion there is out there and still a lack of support
0: yeah and i think to be honest and i'm sure you would agree that that's probably a vastly underreported statistic right
1: yeah i agree and speaking of better places to get help, can you talk a little bit about your practice, Salah Ferti- uh, Fertility, and what you do to help others?
0: Sure, I'd be happy to. So I launched Salah after becoming certified as a doula, both a fertility and birth and labor doula. And I did it, again, to really provide support, education, and resources and community to people that are struggling, um, whether it's an individual, a couple, a couple it can be brutal out there, you know, whether it's PCOS or endometriosis or reproductive immunology or infertility, miscarriage, stillbirth. Um, it kind of, I kind of cover the, the gauntlet, if you will. And I, I focus on preconception during pregnancy and also postpartum.
1: Amazing. And you also have uh, the grace in grief, healing and hope after miscarriage. That's one of your books, correct?
0: Yes. So I wrote that book to detail my journey. It was cathartic for me to get it all out on paper. I also wrote it to raise awareness around miscarriage, to try to myth bust some of the misconceptions around miscarriage, and also provide actionable steps for people experiencing miscarriage. Amazing. Everyone loves actionable steps. Yeah. Honestly, like I had so many conversations with my publisher about really wanting to make that piece stand out in the book. I I needed that to be like big and bold. Here's what you need to do. Right. Yeah.
1: Is your book? I'm guessing is available like on Amazon, local bookstores, like anywhere books are sold.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Amazing. And uh, so I didn't ask about your uh, the Sela Fertility. Where is it? Where is the website that people can go and access that?
0: Selafertility.com.
1: Okay. Perfect. And for people, it's S E L A H Fertility.com. We'll also put all of this in the podcast uh, episode description. But just for anyone who's uh, listening, they can go there directly if they want to. Amazing. Well, thank you, Laura, so much for for joining us. We learned so much uh, valuable information about endometriosis, PCOS, MTHFR, and about miscarriages. And for those looking to get help, I think they can find so much helpful resources at your website, with your book, and and, and much more.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much for joining us, Laura. This was really eye-opening, and I hope that any of our listeners who are looking to get pregnant are really inspired by your journey and continue to investigate different ways to uncover any issues that are going on hormonally. So thanks so much for being
0: so transparent about what you went through. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. And thank you for everything you do because, you know, again, like putting out so much valuable information that just, it doesn't exist. It's it's so nice to be able to easily access it.
1: Thank you, absolutely. And we, and we feel the same about your content as well. So thank you for that.
0: Thank you, thank you.
1: All right, everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode. We will see you next week. Until then, take care.
0: Bye.
2: If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.